Greetings and welcome to Office Hours. If you are watching on YouTube and you want to learn a little bit more about what we do here, head over to officehours.global. Our first hour, we answer your questions on all things media and virtual productions. And our second hour is something that we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we'll be speaking with Julie Riley, Social Media Community Manager at StreamYard. And I hear they have some announcements to make. So you want to stay tuned to our second hour. And producers, go ahead and submit your questions. And speaking of questions, Bill, let's get this party started. Absolutely, Liberty. Our first one comes from Hasma Gajar in Cape Town, South Africa. And Hasma says, I have two Mac Mini M1s to run meters. On my home machine, the WLM meters freezes after a while. Yesterday, it was awful. Moving the mouse activates the meters. Office machine has no issues. Maybe there are many factors I know. Any ideas? Alexander? Well, if you're on a Mac running Mac OS Ventura, you're going to want to make sure that your the version of the Waves plugins that you have is up to date. So version 14 is the latest, which officially supports it. If you're running an older version like version 13 or 12, they're not supported and there may be some stability issues there. So check that. Next question. Our next question comes to us from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. Is there a gear ring adapter I can attach to a non-cine lens so I can attach a small rig wireless focus pole? Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, there are actually small rig sells them. Here's a picture of someone off of the B&H website. This actually comes directly from small rig. So you can usually get these. Now, they have a range of sizes of lenses that they fit. So sometimes in my experience, you can find a weird lens or excuse me, a, a lens that is not uh, kind of standard and you'll have trouble adapting to that, but they are out there. Alex? Yeah, and Tilta makes them as well, as well as Red Rock. And some of them are fit on specific lenses while other ones are kind of a, uh, they have a, a cinch you know, where some of it sticks out on one end. Remember, it doesn't usually go all the way around. Once you get into that, it's going it, to, and so that's the thing you have to kind of think through as well for the focus. Um, Cine lenses work differently as well from still lenses as well. So you have to kind of take into account that the mo that the mechanics may be different, um, but you should be able to get a variety of different um, uh, adapters for those lenses to, to work with the motors. Next question. Our next question comes to us from Craig Kadoki in Canada, and Craig says, Alex, if I remember, I've been looking at the JBL's three, uh, 305s. Are there any mounting points on them? I'm looking at these, but I need to stand mount them, maybe a yoke. Bill? There are um, ways to do this, and let me see if I can get you a live picture here. And so these are my 305s up here. I don't know if you can see, it's pretty dark in there, but um, I have them on little wedges. They're stand mounted and down at the bottom. Uh, let's see if I can get a picture of that real quick. I don't know if you can see it, it's pretty dark in there, but there are little uh, feet on the bottom of that. It has spike feet, which many of these kind of mounting points do. In this particular case, I'm using an adapter with those to get it mounted. Uh, I like the 305s to me sounded better when they were elevated off my desk on those stands and pointed down to face my ears. Uh, and it really did help with a little, I had a little tubbiness problem because they're mounted in a corner. Put them up on those stands, angled them down. Perfect. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I've been using stands as well. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of them. There are some stands, that, there are some clamps out there that will clamp onto them. I, I have to admit that I, I have a couple of them sitting here because I'm waiting to figure out how I want to print something or build something that's going to sit there because the clamps that, that that I've seen for them so far haven't 
had me feel like that would be great a great way to do it especially for overhead speakers or or something that's it's wider the um the other option that people have is to drill something into the back of them and drilling into my speaker is just something i can't get i go well it should it's just wood but i can't get myself to do it so so uh so anyways i haven't drilled but there are mounts that you can drill into the back of them they're just like three um and it shouldn't affect the quality of the speaker, but drilling into a speaker is something that I just can't get myself into. So, um, so I'm, I still am working on that. It's, it's, it's one of my little to-dos, but the ones that I'm using right now are all on stands. Next question. John Preto in Las Vegas comes to us next and says, remember today is the start of NVIDIA's Developers Conference, GTC. It is completely online. John, what do we need to look out for? GTC started at 6 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> the cra- crazy thing is there's eight it's it's today through Thursday there's 827 sessions in 4 days. I'm like I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> so well, but, and they're not they're not all live, right? <laughs> they're not all live. Yeah. But a bunch of them are. So you'll be able to go back and watch Alex the thing that I would say about that, if I, if I were if I were planning a session like that, is I would have released all of the unlive sessions last week, let people watch them, and then open up for Q and A. Like we we just keep talking about that process of getting the content out there and then letting people um, what people really want what people will want next week is live streams with people who could answer their questions about what they just saw this week. You could have just made that the conference. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's the, but I'm excited to see what they announce. I mean, NVIDIA is definitely pushing the outer envelope of the Omniverse and whatever we're going to end up doing in the future. We're, we're probably going to see a lot of glimpses of it uh, this week. Next question. Next one comes to us from Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. And Chris says, what would be the best portable system to scan someone as a 3D model? We want to scan someone for 3D printing as a statue for a display about their donation to a museum. If it's possible to capture them in the uniforms, then that would be great. Alex? Best. Best portable. That's the... That's the operating term. So, so the uh, you know the there are there are good systems. So the the question is is what is the best one that that is affordable? I think is going to be probably the the working um, issue here, because there's a lot of really good systems that are used. So 2K games and others use a um, a photographic system, and so really it's really hard to scan someone um, because they move a little bit. And that's the, and that really causes a lot of trouble um, is, is if they're moving at all, then the scans don't line up. And so it, you, you get movement. And if you take a photo with one camera, uh, then you end up with a, you know, you end up with the same kind of problem here. Um, and so, so that becomes the, the, I'll show you how at 2K, what it is now, now what was Pixel Gun and now is 2K. And I apologize, I have to do a screen share because I, changed a bunch of stuff on my system last night and i realized i don't have a spare computer all right let me see here so if you look if i look at this there we go um so this is a uh um this is um, my daughter uh, many years ago <laughs> so uh, uh but this is what's pixel gun and what you're gonna, what you see here is you'll see there's 150 cameras uh each one of them you'll see under most of them there there's little codes those are basically like little barcodes that identify the cam identify the camera or it uses the other cameras 
use those to identify where they are so they can automatically register. Um, this takes very, very high-res um, images of the, of the person, um, and uh, they, they literally just get into a pose, and it takes all of the photos at one time, and, and it allows you to um, you know, get really, really – and this is a mobile unit. This, this actually goes into a um, – I'm going to cut out of this here if I can find my uh, – stop sharing. Um, this really uh, – that system is actually in a trailer that pulls up outside of an arena – and then you can, and they capture the the basketball players, um, and down to the grain, you know, the the, the grain in their skin. <laughs> so so the so it's a very very high res. That's the best portable one. Uh, after that, you can get into lower res resolution systems uh, that are you know five cameras, eight cameras. The main thing you have to do if you if you look at this is if you think about um, the person that's here that you're trying to take a photo of. What you need to do is think about, um, you know, the angles. So you may have, for instance, you have a camera going this way and a camera going this way. And there has to be overlap between them, you know, so that each angle as you go through this is overlapping with the, with the cameras that are around them. The other thing you have to think about, of course, is going up and, you know, coming down on them so that you get the uh, anything the camera can't see, you won't be able to see. And it's not just anything the camera can't see. It's anything that two or three cameras can't see. So you need every... Every part of that surface needs to be covered by um, by at least three cameras, um, so that you know, and that's how you have to kind of view it. There, it could be technically two, but I would say three. Um, so, it, if it's seen that way, uh, and that's the problem, is, is that you end up with eight, ten, twelve cameras um, pretty quickly when you when you go down that path. So that's you have to kind of figure that out, and then you're going to use photogrammetry, something like MetaShape or Reality Capture. Um, to pull those together, and um, it's it, it's really hard to do with people. The other way that people do it is to build the body in something like Meta MetaHuman. You can build, you know, you put it all together in Unreal Engine. So you take a, just a, a model of their face, and then you put it on to the to the head. If you can if you can get everything else to look like the person, you can actually put a custom face onto a MetaHuman um, and model everything that they have without having to try to scan it. Uh, and so it might not be quite as accurate, but it'll probably look nicer. Next question. It comes from you, from Liberty White in Atlanta, Georgia. Currently, I'm coming in at 720p on Zoom. Even though I'm using a good machine, a ROG Zephyrus G laptop, couldn't it stream at 1080p? What's the fix? Yeah, so last week I came in for the show. I'm in the studio, as you can see, different setup. Um, and yeah, so I've been using this laptop for the last year for any remote productions. And it was told to me last week that I came in. I came in initially at 720, then it went down to 360. And so I thought, you know, I came in extra early today for the show and I was still at 720. So there's got to be a fix trying to figure that out. Alex. Do you know how many cores are in that um, in that rug? I'm not sure. Let me see if I can pull up. The, the main thing is it won't matter in a lot of ways, like what the GPU is. It matters what's in the CPU, and okay. it is um, what what will happen is is that it'll make a decision about whether you can handle 1080p, and it's very cut and dry about that, and it's not necessarily accurate. <laughs> you know, it, it is it is what but it, it guarantees that someone with 1080p can actually handle it. But it's a little bit over, um, especially on the PC side, we found that to be um, a little bit conservative. Uh, pretty much the, the main thing that's happened is that all the Macs, all the M1s and, or M series on the Apple will handle it just fine. But PCs are a little bit trickier to, to figure out. Okay. 
All right. So I'll go down that lane, Serge. Another thing I will check is the bandwidth that you have, uh, depending of what Zoom detecting, it might go, it might say, well, you, you don't have enough upload bandwidth to do the 1080 and downscale to 720. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. John mentioned that in uh, the pre-show. Thank you much, y'all. I will keep you posted. Next question. Next one comes to it from Mike. Uh, comes to us from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. Morning, guys. Can you explain the process of matching two Blackmagic Ursa G2s, where one is getting better lighting than the other, on a subject or subjects? Thanks, Alex. Yeah. The um, if it, if it, if you're talking about someone, one side is getting a, a a person that's a bit in shadow or, or the shadow side of their face, and the other one is getting more of the the side of them that is getting more light should match both cameras to each other. If, if they're in shadow, they're in shadow. <laughs> so don't, you don't want to correct uh, a shadow-sided camera uh, for, you know, to, to expose that side. It, the, the cameras should be identical, and then you should move them up and down together. Um, but, but you should be very careful about trying to compensate. Um, it'll very quickly, if you catch anything on the other side, it's going to look a little odd. Um, to have those there. Now, shading all the cameras up and down based on somewhere someone is on a stage or what they're looking like is one thing, but you want to be very careful of um, shading, uh, trying to capture something different. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about here uh, is, to, is to compensate for that shadow. And, and if it's on that side, it should just get what it, what it, what it has, what, what's available to it exactly the same as the other camera. Bill? Yeah, I, I concur with what Alex is saying. I used to run into this a lot. We would do professional speakers. And if I had one camera shooting and there were windows in the background of that shot, and then the other camera was shooting a, a crossing shot and didn't have those windows, if I tried to just white balance on the individuals, the fact that that bleed from outside with 5,600 or 7,000 K light would really mess up the white balance between the two cameras. So we would have to literally put a black screen behind them balance on the person get the person right that's what people look at and once you get the people corrected so they both look identical then you take away the black mask and whatever that looks like is what you're going to have to survive with you can't change them depending on the light falling on the people or you're going to be all messed up for the rest of your shoot next question Craig Kadoki in Toronto, Canada says, Alex, after our second hour with Chris and Sam from Figure 53 QLab back in September, have you had any more contact with them about doing a co-pro at their theater, The Voxel? Alex? We're, we're definitely interested in doing that. Uh, the, the main thing that, that we have to do is find what that would look like and find people who are up for doing it. Uh, so it's just a matter of most of the projects, I, I know it seems like I do a lot here, but most projects that we do here uh, except for a very, very small number of them are created by the community. So someone in the community decides, I want to do something there, and they start collecting people around it. And um, even the question ask, asker and the, you know, like a lot of these things were all built up because someone thought it was a good idea. And and so uh, it's just a function of, of folks uh, volunteering and deciding that they want to do it. If it's something you're interested in, let me know, and we'll start thinking about it. And six months later, we'll have a show, I'm, I'm sure. So, so uh, but it's just a matter of, of, of how that collects. Next question. Uh, next question comes from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. I need to get a base plate with rod support so I can attach a small rig follow focus. Is this the correct part? It would then attach to the top of my fluid head, and he's got a rig, a small rig uh, URL there. Alex? 
Yeah, that looks like the right one. The only thing you want to think about when you, that's a very basic base plate. There's a lot of different kinds of base, base plates you can do. So you might want to think about, there are, there are quick release ba- base plates that are available. Um, so that you might want to look at, they're a little bit larger. Now they may have a different, uh, the other thing you want to look at is the size of the rods. So those are 15 millimeter and that's fine. Just make sure that you get everything that's 15 millimeter, not all rods are made the same. So a lot of the the small rig type are 15. I believe that the kind of pro level, I, th- I believe is 20 millimeter. I'm, I'm, I'm not certain off the top of my head, but it's slightly larger rod. And so you have to make sure that you're matching those with everything that you buy is making sure that, that you under you pay attention to what the rod size is. Um, but then again, you, you want to look at um, uh, the kinds of there's some V mounts and a, a variety of different ways of locking your camera down. So if you're picking your camera up and taking it off often, you may want to look for some of those. And some of that will be built into the, um, uh, you know, into the into the the base um, for some of the larger bases. But that one will that should work just fine as far as getting rods for uh, your follow focus. Go ahead, Alexander. Yeah, so I have a small rig uh, fluid head, and I believe it has one of those Arca Swiss quick-release plates. So I guess I could mount mm-hmm. that. If I mount that to the top, then I should have the quick-release thing figured out, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's for broadcast, there's bigger... <laughs> quick releases that are that are that are that are, that are available that that slide in and slide out you know they're that, that are a little bit more robust uh but the, the arca swiss will, will work just fine as well bill yeah i agree with that i will say that the arca swift those base plates tend to be small the longer thinner ones and i know manfrotto makes them and other people use them they're another standard have been more front to back stable for me. I have tried occasionally using quick releases on top of a fluid head, and I find it if they get too small, you can get the camera a little more wobbly than I would like. So just think about which system you want to buy into. Next question. Uh, Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida says, are there any updates on the production plan for Office Hours NAB coverage? What can viewers expect? Go ahead, Alex. We're nailing down, I think we're, we have a meeting today, so we're nailing down some other things. We're going to probably end up streaming about four hours um, total over two days uh, into with the panel. Now, depending on the, some of, some gear that we're still still sorting out, <laughs> but we're very close to, uh, we, we will probably be opportunistic and stream at other times during the day. So what you can expect is um, one thing that we're going to do is experiment a lot on with different formats inside of YouTube. So uh, one thing we're going to do is a lot of shorts. So there'll be a lot of shorts and some of those shorts are going to be very high velocity. We're going to shoot them, put them up, shoot them, put them up. And then other ones we're going to post and let people do a little bit of extra work on them and see, is there a performance difference? What do people think? A lot of this is still experimentation, but I expect us to probably produce between 25 and 50 you know, shorts that go up on our webpage. We're also going to have 16 by 9, uh, more, more other things that, that are, again, all the packages that we shoot are, not, are going to end up on, the, on our YouTube page. They're not going to end up in the live stream. So there's not going to be a lot of play out. When we're live, we're going to be live. So the, there's going to be packages that go up. And then there is going to be um, uh, these, live, these live segments. We're working out the final hours, but it'll be a couple hours a day that you'll see some live segments that are from the, and that's going to allow the panel to be part of the conversation. So there'll be a panel for that conversation. Um, and Brian Shand is actually working on the schedule for that. And, and there's a, um, so there'll be pa- a small panel as well as, and, and that'll allow the panel to be part of it. That's one of the things I think is really important for what we kind of, what we do here. Then there'll be other live streams from the from the live view backpack that is, I think it's going to be a live view backpack, but from a backpack that is um, going uh, that are we're just going to turn it on, push it into Makana, 
and let people watch it on li- live on YouTube. You know, so that you can you can either watch it on live and use the on your TV or and use your phone, or you can uh, watch it inside of Mukana and you'll be able to ask questions and so on and so forth. So that'll be more of a roaming camera, and we're gonna we're, we will end up having a schedule, but it probably won't be lined up until the week the week of the week before the event. Um, but that's going to be the other way that we're going to do coverage. Um, again, there'll be there'll be VOD, there'll be shorts. And then one of the things that we're really interested in is we're going to have a room inside of After Hours that is going to allow folks to just hang out in there. And when our folks that are on the ground, it looks like we have about 10 people as the dust settles that they're going to end up on the ground. As they see things, they're going to be able to bring those in to that room and show people. I mean, we're going to see how this works. But this is the experiment. Uh, this is the most experimental part of this. But we're going to basically allow people to show, show like, hey, I'm here at this booth. So it's a really casual like let us show you lots and lots of things from all over the place and so we're gonna so there'll be times when we're just hanging out in the in after hours to do that finally every morning we're going to be talking about the 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 industry so monday we'll be talking about the actual industry any you know just how the broadcast industry is we're going to talk about where it's going etc on tuesday we'll talk about new graphics releases that are there graphics related releases on wednesday audio releases video um uh, on Thursday, and then finally, how we did the project. And a real quick, we just finished the project. It's still fresh in our minds. What worked and didn't work, you know, so that we can kind of error correct for the next one, which will most likely be, I mean, the next uh, big conference for us will probably be Cinegear. It's going to be the next one that we probably manage, and then IBC. There's a lot of moving pieces, which is exciting, like the experimentation part, as yeah. you mentioned. So with the shorts, is that is that like to grow the YouTube channel or because that's a lot of content, which makes sense because it's NAB. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea is, is that it's, it's very munchable content, you know, like it's our snackable content, which is that if you're, if you're not going to NAB, this is a bunch of things you can sit there on a 60, you know, on your phone and just be pushing back and, and just watching, you know, all the different pieces of content that we put up. Uh, you know, we're not, it's not really to build anything other than to experiment with, with the format. So, um, and, you know, how do we, you know, what does it look like when we cover something in small, very quick releases as opposed to, you know, so, and you're, what you're going to see is some heavier stuff that is, that is going to be the 16 by 9 BOD, some heavier shorts that have some graphics and some text in them. So we're going to experiment with what that looks like and what it takes to produce them. Um, and then the big thing is, is you can't go back to NAB later. So that what, why don't we just, um, you know, really use all the different formats that we have available to us to, or within YouTube at least. Uh, and there's no reason to just do it in YouTube other than I just, I want to keep our number of variables <laughs> at a minimum. Um, but uh, the, but I think that we're going to um, focus on just looking at what all these look like. The other thing is, is that when you're at NAB, one of the things I really want to do is make sure people get to see a lot of NAB, you know, and so here's a whole bunch of very short snippets. We have so much content available to us at every booth. There's thousands of booths. Um, let's make sure that we get as many as we can. You know, I, 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 if we could produce, you know, 200 shorts, I would, you know, out of, out of there to, to just let someone sit there for, um, you know, a couple hours. Right. In a perfect world, someone before we talk about audio on Wednesday will have sat through 50 audio shorts of the little things that we showed. And they're nice and small and, and easy to watch and we can move forward. Um, but the live the live lets us have longer discussions about things. The the shorts let us just give you a smattering. The VODs let us cover things. Um, these the, the after hours just lets us be there, you know, and, and, and see it. So I think that there's, 
you know, a lot of different, um, you know, pieces to that puzzle. And it really answers a lot of the way people consume. The snackable people will be served. The people who are looking for the longer form will be served. And then the community part in after hours. As we figure it out, I mean, I think this will probably be one of the most comprehensive coverages of NAB that's out there. I mean, that, that's going to happen that, this year. Um, and not, not many people can put 40 people <laughs> on, on a project. So, so, uh, so it's, it's probably be some of the most comprehensive uh, coverage of NAB uh, in two or three more conferences, I don't think there'll be anything like what, what we're doing. If we continue the trajectory that was started last year and continue to keep learning and, and figuring out what we like and don't like, I think we're going to end up producing hours and hours and hours of content in many, many different formats on many platforms, um, you know, every time one of these conferences happens. And that also helps us think about what works and doesn't work in conferences right. <laughs> So for our own use. so Go ahead, Bill. Well, I was just thinking about discoverability for this, Alex, and I'm just wondering where would people, uh, where would our producers and others who are interested find out what's happening live, where they can go to to get the bits of content? Have you thought about a central kind of hub for information for what we're doing? Well, I, I think that for for folks who are a part of this, I mean, what you want to do is there's going to be um, the in the after hours, there'll be after hour alerts like, hey, someone's at this booth, you know, so if you're following the after hour alerts, you'll see that we are going to post a schedule of the um, of the live, you know, of, of the morning stuff is, of course, set. Then we'll have a schedule for the, you know, in the next week, we'll have a schedule for the the hits that are with the panel because that really takes a, a lot of setup. And then we're probably the week before is when we're going to start posting the the live from the space. Um, you know, like where is the, where are we going to be with um, a, a small crew that isn't part of the panel, doesn't go through the, the traditional own, I know, or not own, I know, but uh, office hour system. And um, and just go straight to YouTube, and that we can embed into Makana. So there'll be a schedule for that as well. So there'll be there'll be a, a couple different schedules. But by the it, you may not have the whole schedule. Well, some of it you won't have the whole schedule at all because it's just going to be happening. Um, you know, so you're gonna as a if you're watching this, you're just gonna really have to pay attention to our YouTube channel. You're gonna have to pay attention to um, the after hours alerts as we're doing things. Uh, and there'll be there, but there will be some tent poles of larger coverage that you'll get to know where those things are. Um, but there's just going to be also just a lot of things that are just popping out. Any sense in setting up like an SMS message thing and letting people sign up and say, you know, in 10 minutes, this is happening? Um, probably not this year. I mean, like, so, Understood. you know, it's it's one of those things you have to be kind of careful of uh, adding too many variables that suddenly we have to manage. And then what happens is that we, we do it sometimes and then not all the time and then people complain. <laughs> so, so the, uh, so, so, the um, so what we want to do is, is have a... Uh, um, uh, we're we're going to be a little bit careful right now as far as what we do. Right now, we're trying to figure out how to cover the show. You, what you will see is all the stuff that you're talking about needs to happen at some point. There needs to be a hub. People need to know where to go. There'll, there'll be schedules. There'll be things. But that's probably three, four, five down the road. Um, what we're going to do is look at all these different formats. And then on Friday, we're going to go, well, what worked and what didn't work? And probably for weeks, we'll be breaking down what you know what we liked what we didn't like um we may have another opportunity at the end of april to do something else in uh in europe <laughs> we'll see how that goes um and then of course we'll start focusing on cinegear um as our next uh next out outing all exciting exciting activities here at office hours and producers this is a great opportunity for you to continue to ask your questions and posting them in mukana so that our panel has enough time to find the best response for you 
Next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael, and he says, has anyone had experience creating VMs, and I think virtual machines in this case, on an Apple Silicon Mac? I've brought, uh, bought FreeBSD 13.1 and OpenBSD 7.2 up on my M2 Pro Mac Mini via VMware Fusion, and I've been so far impressed by the performance. Serge? Great that you are impressed with the, uh, the performance of that system with uh, FreeBSD, but still, I will not recommend to use M1s or M2s to do VMs. Um, the architecture is really different from ARM and Intel, and most of the VM that you would like to run will run Intel code. So stick with a Windows PC that will have VMware or Windows Server or a VMware Server to do these virtualization, you will be a lot happier. Next question. Next one, <laughs> Gerald Levinson. I'm laughing only because, Bill, how did you get your audio and video back in sync? And if it is back in sync and all the fingers of everyone I know are crossed, it is because I finally found out that I think what was robbing my CPU of cycles was Notepad. I have a tremendous number of notes. I've been using Notepad for probably five or six years. I've been realizing for a while that occasionally I wouldn't be able to add new notes and I would have to clear out some of the old ones, but I haven't done a complete cleanup of it. My suspicion, it is not confirmed at this point, but I've stopped it for today. I didn't load Notepad up at the start of the show, as I always do, and so far I've been pretty stable. That would have been one of the last places I would have assumed that was causing me trouble, but it appears, based on today's results only and no confirmation, that it might have been robbing too much system resources. That's a lot of notes, Bill. Is that, <laughs> that is no, I do a lot of voiceover and stuff like that. So I had scripts in there and I had changes to them and I've been using it for five years. So there's a lot of cruft in there. This is a good hint for those of you who've been computing for a long time. Look at these things you forget about. Just expect them to always work and make sure you're not abusing your system resources by just not paying attention. Go ahead, Alex. And just to be specific, because there's multiple applications, are you using a program called Notepad or are you using Apple Notes? The Apple Notes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I have, I have almost 2,000 notes in there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it is, uh, it is the, it's the one thing that I have, like, lots and lots of folders. And so it's, it's definitely key. I've never seen that problem. But it could be, you know, uh, notes could also be changed. Are you on the newest operating system? Yes, I'm on. Notes uh, could be asking, yeah. for, asking for things that the Intel can't keep up with. That that may also be the issue is that the new new operating system notes maybe, especially if you've got a lot of media in there, it could be trying to do things in the background that 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 an Intel processor can't handle. And it seems like these problems started about the time I changed to the newest OS. So it might be a Ventura. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think it might be call. that going on. Yeah. Serge? I'm curious, did you check at your system resources to see if Notes was eating a lot of memory and a lot of cycles? And This morning, it was seeing Notepad up at the top that caused me to think, wait, could it be that? And yeah. it literally was 10 minutes before or 15 minutes before the show started that I finally thought, I wonder if I just closed Notepad. Whether And I was having a problem where if my uh, gallery view was on my main monitor, it would be fine. As soon as I moved it to my exterior monitor, uh, it would start to get out of sync and it would slow. And I could see on my exterior monitor that I was being delayed. When I moved it back to the main monitor, it kind of fixed it for a while. But eventually, I had activity monitor open when I made that move. And what happened was uh, Notepad 
snapped up to the top of things saying it's using a lot of resources. And that's when I decided, well, let me just close it down. And sure enough, since then, all fingers, all toes crossed. But it looks like that may have been the culprit. Next question. Next question comes from Josh Kaufman in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What software is used for the very speedy responsive text shown on TikTok and YouTube short videos? Or is this typically typically accomplished with meticulous editing? Go ahead, John. The app that the kids are telling me that they're using is CapCut because it's got all that stuff built in. It's got 500,000 music clips and stickers and then... The captioning with the different text that flies in, all the different colors and shapes, that they got all that stuff built in. So it makes it super easy to do Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, and then there are, and you're right, the meticulous editing. Uh, there's a YouTuber who actually, he started just like with his designs, and that's where you see a lot of the trend with the color popping. Um, we've been using Descript, and Descript has been tremendously helpful with having that same, because you can change the colors and swap and have a lot more control there, and to do it quickly. And if there are people on your team that might not necessarily um, be as adept with captioning because of the AI that it pulls in, and just, you know, WYSIWYG, like, click and play to change out the colors and, and the dynamic parts there. So Descript being being one of them. And if you are really good, you know, you can kind of do use InShot, but then there's just a lot of hacks, which actually would not be <laughs> be quick unless you understand that workflow. Alex? Yeah, and I believe CapCut is made, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's made by uh, ByteDance. Um, and... It requests all access to all of your photo library just to turn on. There is no reason for it to do that. Everyone should be very concerned. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, it, I have to admit when I opened it up, because I saw some feature that I was going to try with CapCut. And when it asked me for that, I went from, uh, you know, I, you know, I think that TikTok's just doing the best they can to we should get rid of it. <laughs> like, you know, like it, it's, it, it, it just feels very, that was, that was a really super weird thing to do is to release a separate app that is asking for full access to your photos. I would use the script or whatever, but I would not do that. Like that, that there's something that's wrong. Like it's, you know, and, 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 uh, and it, it really, it's concerning. Next question. Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California says, should TikTok creators think about moving to Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts? Alexander? I don't want to tell what, you know, what other people should do, but I, I use all platforms very successfully. It works well. I have clients that request it and demand it. So, uh, and, and TikTok's been working really, really well. The one thing I will say as someone who does podcasts, it does not seem to drive traffic to the podcast, which is frustrating because I do want that. I want the podcast to actually grow. Uh, all it, all that they seem to do is just bring more subscribers and views, and that keeps my client happy, but it doesn't really help the actual podcast. Alex? Yeah, I would experiment with it. You know, I would diversify. The, 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 weather, <laughs> the weather over top of TikTok is starting to get pretty dark, um, and so uh, it would you know, it'd be a big mistake to just assume that it's always going to be there. So I think that, um, you know, I think that they're, they're, they're going to try to make the best, do the best they can um, to push that forward, but it, it doesn't look great. Uh, I, I would, I, I'd say that they've got, in the United States, they've got a 50-50 chance of being banned by the end of this year. So, uh, so I think that, and again, it's because of the kind of things that I just mentioned, they're, they're, they're just very aggressive 
it starts it's starting to really look like it's not just a a video uh, video platform you know and it, and that's the thing that's that's bothering a lot of people so what Alex said is extremely important. So definitely just keeping that in mind and keeping an eye on that, because that has been an ongoing conversation for at least a year, two years, because I remember I was hesitant to even put TikTok on you know, my main device for that reason. But directly answering your question as should, you know, should TikTok users be going to Instagram Reels or YouTube one, I'll always say in, in strategy sessions, recommendations is where is your audience? That's the most important thing. Where are they? Where do they live, work and play online? That's where you want to show up for them. First and foremost, pay attention to what's happening into the other spaces if you're looking at you know instagram instagram reels and shorts um in the social space tiktok has been the one that really sets the trends that you see trickle down to reels and and the other platforms youtube has been doing an excellent job and very aggressive in providing resources in shorts and making shorts much more popular and people are finding a lot of discoverability so if you were to pick one or the other then it would be like look into show you sorry look into youtube shorts and again their search engine so that goes into a deeper conversation about business goals and what you're trying to achieve but at a very high level look at your audience first and then you know youtube shorts reels and when you put your content out it's also a matter of you can repurpose and move them around on channels alex yeah and one of the things to think about is Liberty is 100% correct. Look at where your audience is, but also look at ways to move them around. <laughs> so, so what you have is you might have, you, you know, you might have, um, sorry, you might have, you know, one, one here, you know, another platform here, another platform here, and another platform here, right? And what you want to be able to do is figure out how to get you know, let's, if, how to get this platform to go over here, how to get this platform to go over there, how to get this platform to go over here and back. And so these are all things that you want to be trying to figure out. And the way, a lot of times, the way you want to do that is that you want to have a piece of content here that is related to a piece of content here that's related to a piece of content here that's related to a piece of content that's here. And so, and so the thing is, is that you want to say, hey, we're doing this over here, go over here to see that or go over here to see that. And so mixing and matching those content, a lot of times when we're doing a live stream, we might do a, um, we might have uh, a TikTok that is pre prepping it. We might have Twitter posts that are, that are showing behind the scenes. We might do a little quick interview inside of uh, um, uh, Instagram. We might do, you know, um, a post-production in Facebook. And then the main thing is in YouTube. And, and the idea is, is if, if an audience member is excited about those things, they're going to bounce around and jump into all those things. So you want to think about all these platforms as a, as a, a way that you want to get all of your audience as, mu as much as you can. You always want to be thinking about how do I get my audience to subscribe to my channels across the all my channels, not just one. And, you, and the way to do that is not to stream the same thing to all of them or post the same things to all of them. That's not the way you move that. It's to post different things in different places and let, you, let people know on the other platforms that those the other things are there. Next question. Craig McFarlane of Boston, Massachusetts. Up next, knowing everyone has their own choices for curating family photos, are there platforms that work well for one directional sh sharing of image files along with metadata? That's a great question of some of the platforms using for what are people using for sharing? I know outside of uh, 
iPhotos because most of our photos because most of our, our family is is on the, the Mac system and then Google. But that metadata part, Bill, maybe you can answer that. Well, that's what I've been doing. I have my photos thing. And uh, if you sync it with iCloud, it's really super easy to put together a little album and share it with a family members. It keeps that stuff sequestered from you know, and me, I do a lot of photo work, so I have tons of professional photos, but then I have family snapshots, and I want to share something of Mikey or, or Charlie, our dog, or something like that with the family. It makes it pretty easy to do that. It's not the most sophisticated system, but I got to tell you, photos has been worked, has worked really well for me for a good little bit of time here. Alex? Yeah, almost, Go ahead. Yeah. almost everyone uh, that I know is using photos to do some some version of it. The only one I've seen in the wild used by other folks is Photo Bucket. So Photo Bucket is kind of designed for that. That as well as the Google, if you have enough people on Google, the the, um, the Google um, albums work as well. Next question. Alexander Knight, Vancouver, British Columbia. Elgato does, uh, does not make this part, but I'd like to mount the low-profile mic arm into a table. Has anyone tried this? Alex? Yeah, there's a lot of mounts there. The um, the low profile one, the Elgato one, I believe, and I, I, oh, I guess it's in the office. I believe it's the same pin that goes in. So a lot of these, like the, the I'm using this Elgato, I'm using an uh, a OC white arm, but I I'm using some other pin for the for the desk. And so you, what you should be able to do, and even get even something like the Heil or other ones that have the pin in the center, and it's typically got a one inch um, one inch hole. So you just drive a one inch hole through it, drop that in. And the Elgato should go through that pin. Of course, what I would do is I would order it. Um, I would see if it fits, <laughs> and then put it in. But I, but I think that I think it should fit. Um, so I think that you should get any of these and these arms. They, do they fit perfectly? That'll be something that I'd love to hear from you once you do it, because the the that mount itself is not very expensive. So uh, let me know how what, how you uh, how you do on that, Alexander. And for our producers, we're getting close to the top of the hour. So feel free to submit any questions that you still have for us during our Q&A session. And then we have Julie Riley with StreamYard coming to talk to us about all things StreamYard and how you can use it for a greater communication strategy. Next question. Next one comes from Douglas Carmichael. And he says, would an FSHDR be the unit you'd use for real-time color correction before the encoder in a streaming pipeline? Alex? Yes, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a couple different, uh, there, there, are some, there are a lot of different tools that could do that. Um, but I will say that we're, we have a bunch of FSHDRs and we're, we um, both O9O and Office Hours has a stack of them to, to do these kind of color corrections. And the big thing is, is they do them relatively fluidly and they are control, remote controllable through via REST. So we can actually build tools to do that, um, which we are, you'll see every once in a while us playing with people's exposure and so on and so forth, even in Office Hours. And that's us experimenting with the idea of being able to color correct each person here um, ongoingly. Next question. Next one comes from Douglas Carmichael again, and he says, Metallica have acquired a majority interest in furnace record pressing to partially secure press capacity for their Vinyl Club subscription service. Is the Vinyl Revival sustainable despite the more diverse settings we consume content in today? Alexander? Well, I'd say yes. I've been watching this space for a while. We've seen uh, year-over-year growth for quite a while now, I'm, and I, I'm posting a link in Makana about this, but the RIA has a recent report here about it and they are saying revenues from vinyl albums grew 22 percent to 570 million in 2022 and vinyl share of physical market increase from 68 to 73 percent almost 600 million dollars i'd say that's pretty decent 
Bill? Pretty decent, but still pretty niche in terms of the amount of music sold, particularly, I mean, if you compare it to CDs, which have been diminishing for quite a few years, uh, it's still probably less than them. And those dwarfed are dwarfed by digital delivery of music now. So, you know, it, it, I love people who like old technologies and want to keep it rolling. Uh, having spent most of my years in records, I will say that they do degrade quickly over time. Finding turntables that are good quality, that don't do too much damage to your records, is increasingly difficult out there. There are not a lot of companies that manufacture them except at the very high end for audiophiles. Uh, and if you're in that club, go for it. Have a great time. There is a wonderful sound to vinyl that I, I still miss, but it's just not a practical thing. And I think even at those numbers... Uh, you know, specific groups like Metallica will, but I doubt that you're going to see the broad breadth of new artists issuing vinyl the same way that they used to. Next question. Next question comes to us from Gordon Lake in Los Angeles. Belden 4794R 12G SDI 4K cables are $2,000 for a 1,000-foot roll. Is now the time to switch SDI cables to 12G, or can we wait another year? Alex? I wouldn't buy anything new that didn't have 12G. <laughs> so, so I guess I would, you know, I think that that would be, and 12G, uh, of course, is 4K60. Um, so I, if I was buying 1,000 feet of cable, I wouldn't commit to anything that was less than 12G at this point. Uh, and I've seen 12G cables less than $2,000 a foot. I've seen it running one buck 50, buck 40 a foot at 1,000 feet. So I would research that a little bit. It also depends on what length you want to support because of course some of these cables will support 12G. Every cable will support 12G at three feet. Um, it's, it's a question of how far out can it go. And so look at what that rating is. Is it 75 feet? Is it 300 feet? Is it 200 feet? What, is it, what does that actually mean? We've had actually ones that say they're 12G and we buy them and then they don't, they're not. So uh, definitely take into account that process. Um, but I wouldn't buy anything that wasn't rated 12G at this point because it's just coming too quickly to ignore. Next question. Kenneth Jones in Seattle, Washington is up next. As Mojo, mobile journalism, becomes more popular with iPhones and so forth, what have the panel found to be the microphone of choice for interview use? Alex? Electrosonic. <laughs> so, so with a ceremonic receiver. So the, the best thing that we've used and what you'll probably uh, most likely see me use or is something similar. I mean, it'll be electrosonic or something like it. Um, but I use professional receivers and transmitters for my phone. And then I use an XLR interface. The one that I have sitting around is the ceremonic. Uh, there are a couple different ones that do that. But if you're looking for the best, that's that that works um, exceptionally well. Of course, you can. There are other solutions that you can use. I think the Rhodes and the DJI's and so on and so forth can be, can work as well. But if you're if you're really talking about journalism and what you're going to see me use um, at NAB is going to be a professional. I'm not sure which transmitter yet, but the, a professional transmitter uh, along with a um, most likely a headset. Um, that is then tied via a ceremonic um, into my my iPhone uh, for my my quick hits, and the, it'll definitely make a big difference in the quality. In my opinion, we'll we'll find out. Maybe maybe I, I could be wrong. Bill, well, in my experience, and I've been doing a lot of field production for a long time. When you use the low end things, things like the little road goes and things like that, they work fine as long as the conditions are all correct. But as soon as somebody says, you know, it'd be great to have a shot, go up on the balcony, which is, you know, 70 yards away, 
And I've got a long lens, and I'll start with a shot of you there. And then while you do your stand-up, I will pull back to reveal the whole thing, and you'll become a tiny element in that. That type of shot completely fails if you're using a small, short-range system rather than something that is built for robust professional quality. So I agree with Alex 100%. If you're in something where it's important to get the signal out to your audience without fail and with the maximum quality, these systems from Electrosonics and Sony and, and all, there's a whole bunch of companies that make really good wireless systems. There's no reason not to use those if you can afford to use them. They're just going to put you at a whole level of safety, consistency, and non-interference that the small units try and, and do a good job in their space, but they're just in that space of just be five feet from the camera and don't have a human standing between you, your transmitter and receiver, and they'll work just fine. As soon as that circumstance changes, you're in trouble. Go ahead, Alexander. I just uh, set up a, a mobile rig for uh, with an iPhone, actually, for a client of mine because he wants to do these street interviews, and a lot of them are going to be outside. So we did a... Uh, Sennheiser EW112 wireless system with an MD46 um, mic, which I like because it has a long, uh, a long handle on it, and it's cardioid, so it's very, very directional. And if you're doing stuff outside, that's going to be much better than an omnidirectional mic. Elect I know Electro Voice has a very famous omni mic, which is really good for interviews, but I wouldn't use that outside. Next question. Next question from Liberty White in Atlanta, Georgia. Alex, how did you switch the colors on your Telestrator so quickly? It appeared to be mid-design. I almost lost it. I was like, what's We're all happening? Going, how do you right do that? Because <laughs> he had the different colored squares. He had the arrows going. So I, I just, this was the excitement. I was like, I'm hosting. Let's bring it in and ask the question. So go ahead, Alex. I was, I've been using it for a couple of days. It, this is the beta of 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 the new, uh, the new my new system. And so... Um, so the uh, so I can uh, if I if I get the right keyboard up and and I'm so these are all keystrokeable so and you'll notice that this is um, a lot smoother than it was before. That <laughs> so, looks great. So um, yeah, so so this is the beta. Um, we're you know we're, we're 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 close. So anyway, but by making it, I'm I am. I don't oh, wait, you mean you're designing? This is your app, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. This is this is oh. this is. Uh, so I'm working with Juan C. Robles on okay. it, and and um, so Juan and I have been noodling with it for a while, and um, it's finally very close to the surface, and now I'm beta testing. So you'll see me. What I'm testing usually, if I'm using it, is the fact that I can do something really quickly. I I have this thing about everything is all driven by keys because I don't want to see any interface. Right. So um, and Juan has to put up with me being super. He's, he's, he's brilliant. He's incredible. And just putting the things together. But I'm, I have very weird things like, oh, I don't want, I just, but and I'll be like, I'll, I'll do stuff like this where I'll go like this and I'll go, see this little edge? I don't like that edge. You know, like, you know, like this little thing. And so, so anyway, so that's, um, but this is, this is the thing I've been, you know, I started designing these when about 10 years ago and then got a friend of mine. The one that you've seen up until last week has been, uh, a one that a friend of mine wrote over a weekend. Like he's a really brilliant programmer, but he just wrote it like very quickly and gave it to me and it barely runs now because it's been so many updates. It's been five years and it crashes and it shows things and everything else. And so, so anyway, so I'm finally, uh, and we will, we, I, I promised since office hours began to release it and we'll release it sometime soon. <laughs> so we're, we're, all I can say is that we are much closer now <laughs> than we have, than we were in the future. Uh, and then we have been any, any time in the past. So um, anyway, so that I've been, uh, yeah, testing, yeah, testing those things out. So. Wonderful. 
beta testers like the list wherever wherever that list gets (laughs) just let us know let us know sounds good (laughs) next question all right thanks next question is basically the same ranjan shandell los angeles is alex using a new telestrator so enjoy a quick overview i think you just got that so i think we're good on that yep Let's go on to the next one. It comes to us from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. A big hit at South by Southwest was uh, Move.ai, using AI computer vision and machine learning to capture data from motion without using suits or markers. Will you try it, and what do you think the use cases are? Oh, has anybody got a chance to try it yet? Because of course, I'm playing with a telestrator, and I forgot. I didn't right. get my hand up I saw up it, it earlier. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. Go ahead, Alex. A lot of people... Uh, a, I think that this is the the future is going to be AI motion capture. So we know that AI is going to be able to do this eventually. Usually what you want to look at when you're testing these things are very small occlusions, which they're showing. So they're showing stuff in their demo. Now, you can't tell what a demo is until you have it and you're using it. But what you're looking for is like this kind of this kind of motion is really hard for motion capture to do well. Obviously, this is hard for motion capture to do well. And little things like this. If you just move a little bit and you do stuff, motion capture doesn't handle small motion very well um, oftentimes. And that's where you use the high-end systems to make that happen. You also want to look at how it's mapping a body that is captured to the body that is being is being uh, attached to. And sometimes that is that can be a little bit off. You know, How does it make that correction? And it doesn't have to, uh, but but that's something you have to kind of think about. And where the real power is on its way to happening is that you s- take the system that I showed before, you scan someone, and then you let the AI capture their whole body and how it moves, and it's mapped directly onto a scan of them so that, that, that you can get that. Now, you may want it to be some other being, but you can at least work backwards from that. So that those are the kind of things you can kind of think about as you, as you move through that. The... Uh, so I think that there's this is going to be the future. Move AI is pr- is probably one of the ones that's the closest to that, um, and you're seeing some great stuff there. How many cameras do you need? How many things that you know that are there are still a little bit uh, stuff for us to look at. But I but I it looks really interesting. It looks like it's about three hundred and sixty five dollars a year, a dollar a day. I think is the marketing. And, uh, and it lets you do a X number of hours. And you may think, oh, I can only do six hours of capture or three hours of capture or whatever. That's a lot of capture. <laughs> just, just, you know, like that's a lot of capture uh, to do that. Um, so so I think that um, we'll, we'll take a look at it and see if we can't do some more experimentation with it. it might, it's, I think it'd be great to bring them on on a Tuesday um, to have them show it off. But it, it looks really promising. Next question. Peter Belbin, Houston, Texas. How far off do you think 60p video from the panelists might be? And which technologies do you think will help get us there? Alex? I don't think we need it anytime soon. So I don't think there's any dire rush. I think it's probably more than a year out. Uh, there's, you know, basically, the problem you get into is bandwidth in people's, at people's homes. And, you get, and, and like, what does that buy us? I mean, we get, if we can get a solid, I would much rather have a solid, rock solid 30p solution that just looks like broadcast uh, before I would want a 60p solution that is losing frames all the time. Um, and so, because right now we're at about six megs a second at 1080p, if you doubled the frame rate, you would then need to go to uh, 12 megs a second. And that means that everybody on the panel has to have 12 megs a second, which some of us do, but not everybody. And so now, and really you need headroom from there. So 12 megs really turns into 20 meg up and not everybody's going to have that. And so, so it, it, it's a pretty tricky thing. I don't think that 60 is that important. Uh, in in what we do, I, mean, I think it's sixty is important in a lot of other things. But us sitting here talking, uh, I'm not sure if it would make a huge 
a, a compelling difference uh, in the short term. Now, what we are looking at doing is doing downstream of this, you know, is 4K60 into YouTube. Um, that's what we're going to be experimenting with. And that, that then would, um, you know, you'll see it there uh, where it matters. Next question. Next one comes from Peter Belbin again in Houston, Texas. NAB coverage is his topic. Will we be able to ask people on the floor to revisit booths with specific questions based on having seen the hits? Go ahead, Alex. 100%. <laughs> so, so, I mean, this is part of what's going to be really cool about this is that we're going to have these roaming, you know, we're going to have cameras roaming um, and, and looking at, at the things that are, that are happening there. We will have, um, but the, what, what's cool about the after hours part of this, and this is why I would highly recommend making sure you know how to get into after hours, making sure that you're ready to be part of that, is that in that room, people will, can make requests, hey, you're in the West Hall or you're in the in the South Hall or, or no, the South Hall, I think it's happening, but the Central Hall or the Northern Hall. Can you go over here and ask them some questions about this, this, and this? And, and we should be able to be responsive. And we've never done it before, so we don't know how many collisions there'll be and what it'll look like and, and everything. But I think that what will, where I think we're going to end up is that in after hours, two years from now, maybe a year from now, there might be three or four rooms that are covering a, a conference. And in each one of those, there's one or two people that are that are bouncing around, you know, and you can just see what's happening in the different ones that are happening. So that there's just a, an incredible amount of coverage um, that's going on that uh, is going from the time that it opens in the expo. And then there can be stuff in the evenings. There can be a lot of, so we can get to a point where we're covering these extremely deeply um, as we as we move forward. Next question. Douglas Carmichael back again with, could you see home builders including a data closet with appropriate power and rack space in new homes with the growth of remote work? Alex? I have a data closet and I, and I would highly recommend it. <laughs> I literally have one big server rack. It's in the center of the house. All the IP and, and everything else goes into that room. And um, it's, I wouldn't buy, I, it, it seemed like a cool thing when we bought the house. Uh, the the, the um, person who owned the house before me was a CTO for a big company. And so uh, so they, they had done it and uh, it's worth it. Go ahead, Bill. Home offices became a thing with architects when everybody said they started to want those. And I, so I think as houses get more connected, the people who are building houses would pay attention to where those services might be located. So I think, yeah. And John? Builders have been doing it for years here in Vegas. It's an option you can buy pre-wired Ethernet, and then they've got a closet with all the rack gear and everything terminating into that closet. It's It's been around for a long time. And Alex? Yeah, I, and I think that you know, one of the things you want to think about if you're doing this or if you're converting a room uh, to uh, to this is to is to really think about what you're flowing through it. The hardest part about upgrading a house for this is to make sure that you future-proof it. So I would highly recommend if you're running things out to out to your rooms that you think about fiber, you know, and, and think about just running fiber to the rooms. Um, you can run other things as backups. So you can run some, uh, you know, some cat six or something else to those rooms to make sure you have that. But running fiber to all of it means that probably in your lifetime, if you run TAC 12 or TAC 4 to every, to every major room in your house, you probably won't have to think about that again uh, for the, the lifetime of the house. So that's something to think about is the future proof. It's not much more expensive. The most expensive part is to move, is to pull it through the house. Uh, it's much more expensive than the actual cable itself. And Alexander? I'm just curious. I've never run fiber through a house, but how do you terminate that at the panel? Doesn't that have to be converted? 
yeah, you do have to, con well, you can bring it into the, into the router and then what you have to do is you do have to terminate it and then convert it out to what you want. But what, what that means is you're running a cable that can be converted to anything. So you, once you put an S ST end, end on it or an L LC end on it, you want to make sure it's single, <clears throat> get single mode, uh, don't get multi-mode. And so if you get single mode and you have uh, ST on the end, now you just have anything that pulls an ST or LC and you can get converters for those to go back and forth. And this is Ethernet and this is now video. And I can put four videos onto one strand and I can put all my audio onto another strand and I can put all the, you know, so you can have, you have uh, anything you want, but that fiber now is all purpose. You're not pulling an Ethernet cable or a video cable or an audio cable. You're, pull you're pulling a huge amount of bandwidth from one place to the other and you can decide on the ends. It's a little bit more work because you have to decide, but you can decide on every end um, what that looks like. And Serge? What I will do is I will ask an installer to do a patch panel. Then all my fiber are terminated and I just need to do patch what I need. Awesome. Well, we are right there at the top of the hour. Thank you so much, producers, for all of your questions. Keep them coming as we make this transition to speaking with Julie Riley, community manager, social media and community manager at StreamYard. Welcome, Julie. Hello, how are you? Fantastic. There's so much for us to talk about today, but we'll start, I always like to start with your origin stories and especially as it relates to getting to StreamYard and so much has been happening at StreamYard over the past five years of its existence. Yeah, we turned five this year in September. Super excited for that. So we're coming up close already. Uh, I feel like, I mean, we're almost, already almost halfway through this year. But my origin story is kind of a little weird one. I took a odd route to getting to where I was. I started out um, in the mid 2000s. I was kind of looking for a career change. I had been working for Harley Davidson for four years. I had gone to the Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. I actually can tear apart a motorcycle and rebuild it. Um, but it was time for a career change. And I was working in their e-commerce and warranty department. So I launched their whole e-commerce program uh, at that dealership right when they started. And that was the very beginning days of e-commerce on a website. Nobody was doing that. Prior to that, we were doing it all through eBay. And as I was looking through this transition, I decided I was going to go back to school, go for marketing, and really kind of fell in love with this early digital wild, wild west that was happening out there. Right. At the same time, I started a family. And as I started a family, I stopped school for a little while to focus on that. And I was kind of like, I need a hobby. I need something to keep me busy. And I was making custom cakes and I built the entire business through social media, through the early days of Instagram and through the very, very first Facebook pages when businesses could launch a Facebook page. And that was when it hit. And I was like, okay, this is really my passion and I love what I'm doing. So I was able to get on with a local marketing agency right as they had first brought on their first social media clients and started working with them. And from there, left that agency, opened my own agency and did that for years, had my own agency. And in 2020, I got approached by StreamYard with an offer I decided I couldn't refuse. Closed my agency doors and I've been with StreamYard ever since. 
And just navigating, because our, our community here at Office Hours Global, there are people who are in transition looking for what's next and how to grow. And just hearing, like, you started all the way over here, and now you are at one of the fastest growing, like, in browser. Is that the, the proper terminology to yeah. say? Like, StreamYard, you're able to stream in browser, it's not necessarily an application that you have to have downloaded on your machine. Talk to us for those who are watching who may not be familiar with StreamYard. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of funny. We're, we're in our own transition at StreamYard. For the longest time, our tagline was, we are the easiest way to create professional-looking live streams. And we do still say that. We are the easiest way to create those professional-looking live streams. But as we're in this transition, we're really moving more into the easiest way to create professional-looking video. Um, because we have so much more than live stream to us now. But we are a browser-based tool that will allow you to multi-stream. And that means you can stream out to Facebook, pages, profiles, and groups, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, uh, and then anywhere that has a custom RTMP ingest. So if uh, Amazon Live... Instagram is starting to open up some RTMP access to uh, some users. Not everybody ha has it. It is just kind of a random who gets it, who doesn't. Uh, but anywhere can take that RTMP ingest. We can also go to there. We have a webinar uh, feature, so we can do webinars. And then we have recording and then our repurposing tool now that just launched where you can shorten your video down into clips. And then you can also send them straight out to YouTube shorts and Instagram reels. And even with you breaking down like all the platforms that you can multi-stream to, and I think I shared this when we were doing our, our pre-interview, it was 2019, so I had access to LinkedIn Live and the tools that you needed, like StreamYard was the number one. So that was me getting into the, the ecosystem from there. And as you shared, you are now not just the easiest platform or easiest way to just stream, but now like for video content. And we are having you here today so that we can talk about like a larger communication strategy. So how do you see people using StreamYard? Because it's all the way from a solo creator to complete organizations running conferences using StreamYard as the back end. Yes, absolutely. And so I think that's one of the things because it's so multifunctional and such an ease of use that the person who is just really ready to get started for the very first time can turn it on. But these big corporations can also use it and not feel like it's too rudimentary that they're not getting the aspects of it that they need. Um, so it's, it's very customizable. And in fact, this week, it is about to become even more customizable uh, because we're launching a new feature that will give you custom layouts. So you'll be able to really adjust um, your video boxes on the screen where everybody is located, how it's laid out. So we're super excited for that. But with that, the functionality of it is that you can start from day one and go, okay, I'm just going to get started streaming and getting comfortable. Or I'm going to use it for an event. Um, a lot of events will run it through another platform streaming into it. Um, we've seen Uscreen be used. Um, of course, our parent company, Hopin, is an events platform that you can run StreamYard straight into there for events. And there's others that, again, do that RTMP option, uh, which is what the RTMP is for those who are going, what is that? Uh, it basically allows StreamYard and these other platforms to talk to each other and the video feed to come into there. 
so that it can broadcast out to those. And we've gotten to where because we've launched so many other options with the webinar features, we've got webinars who are using it and they're able to put it behind a registration door so they can collect those emails, do the lead nurturing there on that. We've gotten, um, oh gosh, we, we've, we've just gotten so, oh, podcasting is one of our big ones that we've launched into recently because we've launched the local recordings. So the local recordings feature allows you to get the cleanest, clearest, most perfect recording you possibly can that's perfect for that podcast repurposing. So really so many options there. That's awesome. And I, I watched the the town hall last night because you all do the um, Eastern Standard Time. So 9pm. And yes, the announcement of custom layouts, I just saw all the, the comments coming in. How it how important has the has the town halls played in the evolution and the just the overall development for StreamYard? You know, I think the town hall has been so important. You know, Gage and Dan started that very, very early on. And the purpose of that was to really connect with their users and go, how are we doing as a company? How are we doing as a product that we're building and how can we improve? So they were able to take that weekly feedback because the town hall um, that has now been renamed Ask StreamYard, a little more because uh, the whole idea is people can ask the questions in there is that they've taken that feedback from all of our users and been able to constantly develop the platform to what they're looking for, to the needs that the users want versus just what some developer sitting behind a screen is going, I think this is what they want. Let's right. let's try it. Um, they're, they're there every week. And it has been amazing to watch the growth of that show and that we have people tuning in from all across the world where we know that in their time zones, it's three or four o'clock in the morning, and they're still up tuning in weekly to the show just to see what is happening, to give their feedback, to be a part of it. Um, when we were acquired by Hopin, that was actually one of the first things that somebody said was they're like, oh, great. Now we're not going to have the town hall anymore. You know, right. they were so disappointed. Engage and Dan were like, absolutely not. We are still here. Just because we've moved to the next level in our business does not mean that we're abandoning you. And I think that has been so pivotal in the growth of StreamYard. And and even to just touch on that part, like having the Ask StreamYard and that way to to get user or the community's feedback. And so that is able for them to provide you with insights, what they like feature requests and like how as a community manager, in the larger scheme of things, how are you able, like, what are you focused on when it comes to making sure that the community is seen and heard? Yeah, so we have, I, we consider our community anywhere that our audience is talking to us. We have a private Facebook group that has about 27,000 members in it. That is our private community. That is our user. That's our that's our backyard. We like to say that's where the fun is happening and the conversations are happening. But every conversation that comes in on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, anywhere. Those are all still our community members. And we are making sure that we are responding to every comment that we can that needs a response. You know, if they're coming in and just saying hi, we might just give it a heart and, and review it and move on. Right. Um, but if they're asking questions, if they're giving feedback, if they've got something that has happened, we're letting them know, hey, you can go to support and get help here. 
or if they have a feature request, we're saying, hey, that's awesome. We use a tool um, that we can then submit all of those feature requests into so our product team can sort those. But we let them know right away that we saw it. We heard you um, because I think ultimately when people are commenting, especially on a brand's page, they want to be seen and heard and they want their voice to be acknowledged. And there's nothing worse than trying to give a company feedback or ask a question and you feel like you are talking into the void. Uh, So we use Agora Pulse for all of our comment management because every single comment that comes in on our ads, on all of our social platforms comes through that tool and allows us to respond and review every single one. So we're not missing any. That is awesome. And before I get to some of the panel and some of their their comments and questions for you, what what is next for StreamYard? Now, I, I know that there have been like the and the what the other one is called guest destinations. Please talk to us about that because that is exciting on how you'll be able to bring others like your guests will be also be able to stream to their destinations. Yeah. So the guest destinations launched last week. Um, This one has been a highly requested feature for a while. And what it will do is as the host, you can get, depending on what plan you're on, um, if you're on the free plan, one destination, If you're on the basic plan, up to three destinations. And a destination is a Facebook page, a YouTube, a LinkedIn. Um, So any of those, you can get one destination per slot. And so on the basic, you get three. And on our pro plan, you get up to eight. Now, if you have your guest join in, no matter what plan you're on, as long as it's a page, so our basic or pro plan, they can also connect two of their own destinations. So for each guest, you can have two more destinations, adding in, I think it's an additional 10 destinations, um, depending on how many guests you had. But it gives you an opportunity to expand your reach to a wider audience and really grow your show. Uh, So grow where you're streaming out to and you're going to bring in new people. Some of the best practices uh, for that when you're using that tool is make sure that you're telling the audience, hey, Come follow me on my page if you're streaming in from Liberty's page and make sure you go follow Liberty's page as well. So you're also giving that chance for new followers and um, to acquire that expanded growth over time. And makes that so exciting as you shared, like we have a number of podcasters, there are nonprofit communities. So when they do do their their lives and they bring in other, uh, bring in their guests that they will be able to get that expanded reach and growing their audience and the, the cross pollination because we're talking about this today because it's how can we use this as a larger part of our communication strategy. So I'm looking forward to definitely testing <laughs> testing that out. Harshid, I see you've got a question. Yes, uh, welcome, Julie, to the Office Arts Global community here. And what I wanted to speak about was uh, what type of accessibility uh, features would you have uh, moving forward? And as we were talking about overlays and stuff, would anybody be able to pick up this product and go around, you know, go ahead and use it? I know uh, personally that I have friends that are creators and they, they do use StreamYard and it's an easy way in. But could you kind of give us a little bit more details that would uh, give us uh, a better understanding of what is uh, expected of the accessibility in StreamYard? Yeah, so... Um the the ease of use of it is one of our pillars and we really want it to be able to be for anyone to kind of turn on and and jump in that first day 
The first thing is, is you got to sign up with your email. Um, we do not collect name or address or any of that information. We don't need to know it. When you sign up with your email, um, we'll email you a six digit code. We also don't do passwords. So there's none of those to try to remember or go, I forgot my password. Every time you log in, we send you that six digit code. You have 15 minutes to put that in. And from there, if you upgrade to a plan, um, then that's the only thing we collect is the credit card information. We, again, don't collect all of this. We don't want your data because it's too much. Um, and so when you get in the very first time, uh, your cameras are easy to connect, whether it's your webcam, um, a USB cam, or if you're in a more advanced user getting in a DSLR or anything like that. And again, the same with the mics, it will automatically recognize if you have a USB mic plugged in or if you have um, even more advanced software like a Rodecaster, it will detect your mics that are plugged in. And then you can just click the test microphone, test camera, make sure everything's working. You jump into the studio and from there, you can add in your brand colors, you can add in logos, backgrounds, things like that. But if you're going it's day one. And that is all too much and too overwhelming over there. You can add yourself to the screen and hit go live and start talking. It's it's that simple. Um, I like to say, if you're familiar with using any of the easier tools out there like Canva or anything like that, that are just, again, that simple and easy to use, this is that version of it to where you can jump in on day one and start to figure it out. Once you figure out the initial day one piece, then you can start to go, okay, now I'm ready to work with banners or I'm ready to work with lower thirds or an intro video or an outro video. And I always tell people, start slow and add one element at a time if you're brand new and you're really trying to get comfortable because you don't want to overwhelm yourself. And as soon as you overwhelm yourself is when you're going to go, I quit, it's too much. <laughs> and so we really want that to have people slowly ease themselves in and practice. Um, the beauty of it is, is you can record, you can go to an unlisted YouTube channel, or I even have a private Facebook group set up that is my sandbox. And I will stream into that private Facebook group anytime a new feature comes out and run all my testing in there. Or if I got a new microphone or something and I'm going, I need to run some tests to make sure everything's doing what it needs to do. I just stream there. And that way I'm not going out to the public and going, oh gosh, I just tested my brand new microphone with a guest on a show and it didn't work. Right. <laughs> One more quick question as I, I see the questions from the community, our producers are piling up. How has the acquisition from Hopin, how has that impacted the, your growth at StreamYard? I, it has helped it so much. Um, you know, having a larger brand behind your brand um, allows you to have more resources. And it has been amazing because we've been able to bring people over from the Hopin team over to the StreamYard team. Uh, so we've had engineers and developers come over. Our support staff has had members of the support team come over. I believe some of our design team. So we've really been able to expand the internal growth of our team uh, that has allowed us to accelerate the growth of new features and new products within the tool. Awesome. All right, Bill, let's dive into these questions. Absolutely. The first one comes from Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. And Craig says, locally recording video can help in some situations, but I'd love to see recording locally at a higher resolution than what I'm streaming, such as a stream at 720, but locally saved to 1080. Are there any plans for something like that? 
Go ahead, Julie. Yeah, I know that our team has definitely been um, working on all of these. So every time we launch a new feature, that's just the first iteration of that new feature. And behind the scenes, they're constantly working on more upgrades to that feature uh, at the same time. And I do know that that has been requested. Uh, I will definitely add that to our product board uh, request board after the show uh, to have it in there again. But yeah, they they are working on determining what they can add to increase uh, all of the resolution on that. Next question. Supreet Singh is coming in from Bangalore and says, how can we get a one-to-one talk back with guests? Julie. Really- a one-to-one talk back. I'm not sure I understand the question exactly. I think uh, I can, <clears throat> I can explain yeah. it a little bit just so you understand. The, so uh, for a lot of the shows that we do, uh, we set up a system so that if I want to talk to if I want to talk to you, not in the show but into your ear, um, we have systems that are set up either through a separate app or through Zoom. We build it on our our back end to be able to talk directly into your ear. So if you have five people and someone's got a connection issue or a mic issue, they can be talked to directly without it going into the show. And I think the question is: Is do you have any any kind of tools that allow for that? Yeah, on our business plan, we do have um, a green room feature. Um, So we have two self-serve business plans and then our enterprise plan that is uh, by custom built out by the sales team. And on our, I got to get it right. We just launched them in the fall and I don't do it. So it's um, the the premium and the growth um, plans. And, and I may have those backwards. It's growth and premium or premium and growth. Uh, whichever one the higher tier of those is, we have the green room feature available. Um, so that is there. And that's a secondary room space where you can prep your guests, um, have them. Once you're in the studio on screen, you can't talk directly into their ear in that space. But if they were in that behind the scenes green room, that would be available. Um, but it's for the, the business plans and higher right now. And a reminder to our producers, this is a great time for your you to submit your questions for Julie as we continue this conversation about StreamYard and co- creating a corporate strategy for a, a larger strategy for your communications. Next question. Craig McFarland, back from Boston, Massachusetts. And Craig says, if a guest is dropped by an internet glitch or by them clicking the wrong button, does that ever happen? Why can't I quietly pull them back in by focus on host while adding them? It currently always changes the layout when adding. Um, I will have to feature, submit that as a feature request. I don't have an answer as to why. Uh, but what the guests can do is the guests can join back in with the same link that they had uh, when they were in originally, and it will bring them back into the background. And then you can quickly, you know, just add them back up. This is one of those cases where if you're streaming by yourself, uh, then you kind of have to do the talking and the maneuvering at the same time. If you had a studio producer in the background that could quickly bring them back up and put the layout back the way it was, uh, but it will, it will re- pull the layout down. So if you had just you and a guest on, it would drop it down to the single layout. That way it didn't leave the layout there with an empty box. Um, So we want that to happen. And if you ever dropped, um, you know, it does happen sometimes with the host, it will not end your stream. It will keep the stream going. Your guest would be able to still be there talking. I always prep my guests. uh, If I have one saying, hey, if I disappear, don't go anywhere. 
just keep talking. I will be right back. I promise. Um, refresh everything and get back in there. I've had one where my internet on my computer just was not going to cooperate and I had to jump in on my cell phone real quick, but it works. You get back in and you can kind of keep going. Next question. Craig McFarlane is back from Boston with the teams I set up love the simplicity, but it would really help to see the technical quality of the stream being sent out to each destination. This would help troubleshooting, but also during a broadcast. Okay. I will definitely pass that one along to the team as well. I, I'm i not sure if we would be able to get that as far as if that's a feature that we could get on the StreamYard side or if we would be limited by the API on the platform side, uh, the connection talking to the platform. So there could possibly be a limitation there, um, but I will send that over to our product team. That's a good point. Next question. Supreet Singh is back from uh, Bangalore again, this time with any plans of moving StreamYard to a standalone application? It is on our roadmap. I do not have an ETA for you, but the team is working on it behind the scenes. Uh, so I can I can sneak that bit that it's on the roadmap. Um, so I don't know when. We're getting all the gems here. <laughs> Julie, thank you for sharing that with our community, Alex. And Julie, what do you see as the advantages of having your own standalone app as opposed to working in the web? You know, I don't know if I necessarily um, see a difference of an advantage because I find that the though standalone in the on the phone works very, very well. Um, I think the biggest thing would probably be just some of the navigational buttons. Um, there are some things like if you wanted to switch between your front-facing camera and your rear-facing, it is a little more difficult to get to on the app. Um, I don't swap around as much, I guess, probably. So I have not encountered the need personally for an app, but I do know it is a very highly requested um, feature. We daily hear people asking for apps in there. So we have it set uh, as one of the things we want to bring in the future. Next question. Andy Wagner in Brooklyn, New York says, is SRT in the future? That is possibly. Uh, so there is a lot happening with um, our repurposing side of things where we really want to be able to bring more to have that longer term repurposing. So having an SRT file, um, having more repurposing options so we can give you that transcription that then you can even pull, you know, clips of the video based off of the transcription that you've got there. Uh, we're looking into the you know, all this new AI um, availability that's happening out there. We're looking into what can be done with that with the tool. So we got back from a company-wide get-together uh, in March, and we're able to really start brainstorming some really fun. We, we were just like, there's nothing off limits. No idea. It doesn't exist. Even if the feature, even if the technology doesn't exist right now, well, let's put the idea out there as crazy as it is and see where we can go with the future of StreamYard. So we had really a lot of fun and uh, the repurposing in the SRT side of things was one of those that got brought up. Next question. Kyle Hammond's up next and he says, will the custom layouts only be available in the pro tier or across all the tiers? I believe all tiers. Um, I'm 99% sure all tiers. Uh, so we're still, like I said, we're getting ready to launch all of it uh, this week. And it's even brand new, you know, as far as how it's all going to work for the team. Uh, we just got access to it last week or the week before. I can't remember which, but it's brand new. And so, yeah, I, but I believe all plans. 
That's what I think I heard um, last night, and I, I watched it again this morning, which I was like, wow, that's that's surprising. And it really speaks to how much you care about the community and making sure that with this new feature, everyone can get their, get their hands on it. Because the benefit of having those custom layouts, just bringing more uniqueness to your production, your show, your podcast. Next question. Cindy Drozden, Erie, Colorado is up next. And uh, she says, I would love to have analytics after the broadcast has ended for all of the destinations, even just the number of viewers. Does StreamYard plan to provide that? And if so, when? I believe that that is something that is also on our roadmap. Um, I know it's been talked about. Again, that is one that we do hear requests for frequently. Um, and so I, I have a feeling that the team is working on some things back there. We just launched... Um, the on-air webinar series not too long ago, and we will have analytics coming to that um, shortly. So I think that's kind of the first step in developing the longer, the bigger scale analytics. Next question. Next one from Kyle Hammond. Uh, do you have a nonprofit pricing tier? If you reach out to our support team, uh, you can email them at contact at streamyard.com. And they will be able to um, give you all of the information about our nonprofit pricing. Next question. Alexander Knight here on the panel from Vancouver, British Columbia says, is StreamYard primarily designed for non-technical people with little to no experience? And are there any larger, more complicated productions being done on the platform? Ah, that's a good one. So we wanted it to be for everyone um, from the non-technical all the way up to the more advanced users. And that was really the, the idea with it. We have a lot of users who use other tools with StreamYard. So we will see uh, OBS being used where you can get a little bit more of that custom um capabilities of the OBS side, but using the StreamYard Studio as your streaming platform. Um, so we've seen that done in it where you can really get the super custom version of it, but still giving everybody that doesn't want that super custom version the tool without overwhelming them. And to add, to add on to that, have you? what are some of those comp, more maybe complex streams, productions that you have seen? Oh, um, we've got some of our partners uh, that have used some of the tools. Uh, Melanie Diane Howe is one of our partners, and she uses the OBS system with StreamYard. Um, we've got our other partners, Dee and Daniel, who do a live show on our channels every um, on our YouTube channel every what is it the second Saturday of every month, I believe. It's on a Saturday. I think it's is that the, the review Saturday. one where they do yes. review, like the do we? Reviews. Yeah, and they have some other custom capabilities built in with their giveaway tool that they use. Their spinning wheel to determine who they're going to bring up on the show, um, and they use a lot of external sources plugged in to kind of create some more customization with it. Awesome. Next question. Leo Mendel, coming to us from Richmond in the United Kingdom, says, can StreamYard support an RTMP inbound feed for sending high-quality video in from vMix or something like that, not using the virtual camera into browsers? 
Hi, Leo. Good to see you. <laughs> Leo has been around the StreamYard community for a long time. Um, not currently. It is our on our um, future plan roadmap. I don't have a time frame on that one. Uh, they they like to keep those behind the doors, uh, but for good reason. It you know it keeps things from our competitors trying to beat us to the punch or anything like that. But I do know that it is on our future roadmap to have the um, RTMP feed being able to come in. Thank you, Leo, too, because longtime Office Hours community member, but also helped to make this introduction so that we could have you here today with us, Julie. Next question. Cindy Drozda is back from Erie, Colorado, and wonders, do you have any advice on how to promote my streams to new audiences? Great question. That is a good one. I really like that one. Um, so being able to reach your audience is so important. That's one of the reasons why we always suggest pre-schedule your stream ahead of time so it's on the platforms. If you have a guest, make sure that you're tagging your guest social handles, sending them the links of where it's scheduled out to. So whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube saying, hey, here's all the links where it's scheduled everywhere, share it with your audience, please. And then engaging with people, if they're coming on and going, ooh, I'm interested, responding back to them and saying, make sure you hit the subscribe bell, make sure you share this out with your audience, uh, really starting to kind of encourage people to also promote it. I like using stories, uh, you know, grabbing my phone. One of the things with live is it's authentic. It is who you are. It's not pre-recorded and polished and edited down to perfection. And so I even just like grabbing my phone before um, a stream a day before and going, you know, hey, Julie here, I'm going to be going live tomorrow. Make sure you watch me on YouTube, you know, and it's something as quick as a story that went out that way and told people where they can find me, when and how they can watch. So letting them know as much as you can. Then after the show's over, repurposing your content and getting it out there. Now that doesn't get them to the live show, but that's going to let them know, hey, they did a live show and I missed it. I really want to catch the next one because this was some great content. And the more you're doing this, the more you're building this system of pre-show, during the show, letting them know, share this out. Hey, click that share button. Go share this on Twitter with your audience. Share it on Facebook, wherever they are watching, encouraging them to share. And then that post-production, it becomes a system and a process that over time, your viewers will start to know, okay, every Sunday at 8 p.m. is at StreamYard and I'm going to be there watching. So they know right away that that's the process and how it works. Next question. Supreet Singh has another question from Bangalore. Can we use an external control surface like a stream deck and a professional shot box surface control like BitFocus Companion to control functions inside of a browser running StreamYard? So the stream deck does work with StreamYard. I have one in front of me. Um, I have it programmed with all of my hotkeys on there. You can, um, we in the StreamYard studio, there is um, under your settings, is your hotkey layout and you can customize and change what those are, what buttons they are. And then you can program those into your stream deck. So I have those all programmed through there. And then uh, the second part of that question, what was the second part? It was about BitFocus Companion using a surface uh, to control functions inside a browser running StreamYard. I'm not familiar with that particular tool. Um, so I don't know exactly on that one. I do have um, an ATEM Mini plugged up. So if I had multiple cameras streaming in through there, I could change camera settings through there. Right now, I only have one plugged in. But if I had multiple, I could be swapping between those 
on my ATEM. And then um, again, like I said, all my audio goes through my roadcaster and you can add in, you know, sounds on there with the sound pad, things like that. So I'm going to guess that that one would probably work if it's an external tool that gives you more control features. But uh, you're welcome to reach out to our support team and we can check on that one for you for sure. I'm not 100% sure on that exact tool. Next question. Craig McFarlane, again from Boston, Massachusetts. Banners are great, but managing dozens of banners is very clunky. Are there any plans to allow bulk save or bulk upload? Ooh, I like that feature. Uh, I don't know if there are any plans for that. I will submit that one because I definitely like that myself. I do know that we have the folders, so you can at least organize um, you know, into folders by show if you had multiple shows that you were running. So you could have that. But um, as far as a bulk upload or a bulk save, I'm not I'm not sure if we've got that on our plans. And Craig, it might be helpful too in the comments to just even share like how you're using it or even coming back with some more of those details. And that will definitely help with that feature yes. request. Next question. Douglas Carmichael back again. Many Twitch and or YouTube streamers use in-stream alerts when viewers give tips, subscribe, or take other actions. Can StreamYard support these alerts natively? Not currently. Um, we do work with Super Chats. Um, and if you go to StreamYard.com and go to our help articles, if you're in the in the studio, there is some information on how the Super Chats works within there. Um, but we don't have a way to manage the alerts um, and things like that at this time. Next question. Josh Kaufman, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, asks, what's the experience of bringing in guests from a mobile phone? And he notes both for the phone user and for the production team. Yeah, so um, I like to, if I know somebody's going to be coming in on mobile, I like to let them know, make sure you have it on a tripod, um, kind of giving them some of these best practices, like so they're not trying to hold the phone for the whole show. Um, determining what kind of audio system they're going to have set up through that phone. Are they going to have a lapel mic plugged in? Um, are they going to be using the phone just as the camera and still actually using a mic that's plugged in through their computer? So kind of determining how they're coming in through the phone and what their tech capability is, um, what they have available. One thing to keep in mind, Apple is one that if you're using the phone as your camera, but still coming through your computer and using a mic, it you cannot mute the phone all the way down um, on there. You have to have plugged in, um, I like to say take like one of the old Apple earbuds, plug it in and then cut it. So the wire's plugged in, um, so it will stop the mic picking up from in your phone. Um, and that's that's an Apple function that you can't mute it all the way down. Next question. Interesting. Cindy Drozda is next again from Erie, Colorado. I would like to have the ability to pop out the banner and comments windows and have them both visible at once and displayed on a separate monitor. Is this possible? Right now, you cannot have the banners and comments displayed at the same time. I will definitely submit that to our product team. Um, you could... Uh, Right now, you couldn't have it displayed on a separate monitor either. You could have two monitors with your studio in both. So like if you were screen sharing or doing anything like that, like you were in another tab and you still needed to see, you could have um, it over. What I what you would have to do is just duplicate your tab and then move that over to a second monitor to have that space or just move your studio to one and have your screen share in another. Um, but right now, there's not a way to pop out the comments separately unless you just 
added, had a separate, second tab open. Next question. Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas, back again. Does StreamYard have a run-of-show capability to allow the show to be pre-planned and stepped through, bringing in banners and such, according to a pre-planned, pre excuse me, pre-planned show list, easy for me to say, rather than doing everything on the fly? It is on our roadmap. Uh, don't have a time frame. <laughs> I probably won't have a time frame for any of the items that are on our roadmap right now, but it is on our roadmap. Uh, so stay tuned. Next question. I'm going to sit here and practice pre-planned. Uh, <laughs> Craig McFarland in Boston, Massachusetts says, for many broadcasts, I'll set up a team members that are just behind the camera, camera switching, banners and such. Do you see this as a role to support or is StreamYard tar targeting mostly on-air people to do the switching and such themselves? So in our um, pro plan and up and maybe our basic don't quote me on that one because um, I cannot remember off the top of my head. Uh, we have the ability to have team members. And so you can add a co-host or you can even add a moderator type uh, level and they can be your behind the scenes uh, producer back there kind of managing everything. We have lots of um, people in our streamer community that that is what they specifically do is they are producers they don't want to be on camera. They don't want to be back there um, in the front of everyone. And they want that behind the scenes switching capability, kind of managing the whole system uh, from back there. And so that's why we added the roles feature that will allow you to add those co-hosts and producers. And Craig, to even follow up on that, and, and this is before the roles feature came in, and I think this also helps to answer the question of like those more technical productions where we've come in to support another production where someone on the team is producer, someone on the team is like community manager with the comments that are flying off, someone else is the graphics person. So they're putting the, the overlays on at the right time to sync everything. So I think those are some, that's a good use case of like how StreamYard can be use in, in a much more technical or complex um, type of production. Next question. Comes from Alexander Knight again in Vancouver. Are there some web browsers that work better than others for StreamYard? Is there a recommended browser? Curious if Safari on a Mac is stable, as it historically has had some issues with WebRTC services. Yes, so Safari. It, it's like the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> we just want to like shove it a corner every now and then. Um, Safari, unfortunately, is not always the best option. It is known to not work as well, like you said. Uh, Google Chrome is our kind of standard go-to. We do find that every now and then Chrome will launch an update uh, that suddenly people's cameras or microphones have gone wonky and we'll see them coming into support. Uh, support. We'll have them go try Firefox. Um, that's kind of our secondary one. We know that Opera works, uh, Microsoft Edge. So most of the browsers out there will work. Uh, but Chrome is probably our kind of like go-to recommended and then followed by the others that will have you kind of test and try. Or we've even seen where we've had somebody's uh, uh, the plugins in their Chrome that have messed with things in StreamYard. And we've said, hey, go open an incognito window. And as soon as they do that, it, it fixes everything. Next question. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana, up next with what is the adoption level in education? We've had teachers who loved uh, SY when they were forced to teach remotely have larger institutions bought StreamYard site licenses. 
Yes, they have. We have quite a few universities uh, that work, that use StreamYard. They're over on our, you know, enterprise plans, really using it for the university as a whole. And it's been fun to see uh, the adaption of how the schools have gone. Okay, we're not 100% remote anymore, but how can we still use these options to reach our audience? Um, I am personally friends with a teacher that her class was taught completely remote um, on StreamYard up until just this past semester where um, they flipped back over to not using StreamYard daily, but they're still using it as a tool to teach. Next question. Next one comes to us from Kyle Hammond, and he says, do you have the ability to lock a design and share it with multiple users so that a more complicated design is usable for a more basic operator? Um, so if you were setting up like the custom layouts, the custom layouts, you will be able to save so many different custom layouts uh, per plan. Once you kind of set those, you can lock those and set it as a saved custom layout. So if you were kind of behind the scenes in their studio, you wouldn't be able to share your custom layout from one uh, StreamYard plan over to another. Currently, that might be something we have to explore down the road, kind of a way that people can create these new ones and share them. But uh, you will be able to have somebody kind of help you set them up and then save them as a behind the scenes save in your own plan. Next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next with, are there plans to save, uh, to add NDI bridging, SRT, or similar support for remote feeds into StreamYard? Uh, the NDI bridging, I don't know. Um, we're looking at, again, that RTMP feed that can come in. Um, and then the SRT, I believe, is something that they're looking at for future plans of repurposing. Next question. Show friend Chris Clark in Tempe, Arizona says, have you any advice or encouragement for women who may aspire to high-level work in your field? I love that one. Uh, you know, I think it's something that we're becoming more and more seen in the tech industry. It's uh, kind of still that newer transition of getting more women out there. But the more of us that are out there doing it, putting yourself on screen, uh, talking about your practice, talking about your business, and making uh, the ability to pave that way. So that's one of the things I love about live is you can start this live show and you can start showing your authority in the space and talking about what you're doing in tech, interviewing other women in tech, and kind of building and growing your knowledge and expertise. Using, uh, you know, LinkedIn articles is a great way to really put yourself out there and start to get seen, getting on shows like this, uh, and building that authority. And Julie, you were actually on a Women's International Day panel, or, or you were speaking on, it was for women in live streaming, was it? Yeah, so we've streamyard ourselves have hosted two Women's Day panels. Um, so I've hosted two of those. Uh, we did not do one this year because I had another uh, place I was going to be right around the same time. But we did two years of the International Women's Day uh, interview panels, and then um, I was on the Women of Video conference uh, that just happened. That's it. Awesome. Next question. Ike Potter comes into us from Hanover in Germany, and he says, who do you consider StreamYard's biggest competitors in the field? You know, our biggest competitors, there's some others out there that are doing uh, streaming. So there's some other streaming tools. We like to, when we're in the business at StreamYard, we don't focus on 
who our competitors are. We focus on how we can continue to do what we're doing right to outshine our competitors, but without having to put a focus on who they are. But um, the other multi-streaming tools are going to be our competitors. We also have some that are more of those webinar kind of behind the scenes. Uh, So any of those that are doing the webinars, the recording or the multi-streaming, those are our competitors. Next question. Alexander Knight, Vancouver, British Columbia, back again. Have you seen any StreamYard productions that impressed you with respect to their look and feel and creativity put into them? Specifically, anyone that stood out as a shining example of the StreamYard platform? Ooh, I like that one. You know, we've got some amazing users across the board from all different industries, all different types. Some of the ones that I've seen that I really enjoy are the ones that are getting creative with how they're using the tool um, from fitness instructors with multiple cameras set up, uh, being able to stream in their fitness programs and share those out to the kind of more dull industries, I like to say the finance and and the, you know, it's probably not dull to people that are in those industries. But for me, I don't find finance interesting. But uh, I have seen some phenomenal interview shows and done with really high end production. We've got one customer who we kind of did a thing where we asked everybody, hey, send us pictures of your studio setup. We would love to see what you have. We might even use that setup in an ad in the future. And we had one customer that sent us in what was a full-blown like TV studio. And they were using StreamYard for all of their streaming needs where, I mean, it was the couch and the boom mics and the big cameras. And it was impressive and neat to go, you're powering this with StreamYard. This is a TV studio that you're powering with StreamYard. Wow. Next question. Cindy Drozd is back from Erie and wondering if it's possible to use a Stream Deck or keyboard shortcuts to select and display specific banners. Specific banners, no. It will take you to the banner tab right now, but from there you still have to click with the mouse on the individual banners. Down the road, we are hoping to expand upon the hotkey tool. Uh, We've added more and more over time. And so that may be one we add down the road, but right now it'll just take you to the banners tab and then you still have to click through them. What are some of the most frequent uses with the Stream Deck um, with StreamYard? Uh, I think mostly the camera switching. That's probably what I use it the most, at least. I know it's one of kind of the easiest functions. Or if I am just navigating between those tabs, um, you know, it'll jump me back into the comments tab if I need to jump into the uh, banners tab real fast or the brand tab, it'll it'll jump me between those tabs. Uh, but I like using it for the layouts predominantly. Next question. Gordon Lake in Los Angeles, California. If an audience member asks a question would you expand that you want to expand on, can you bring them onto the show while you're still in the middle of the show? Uh, you could. You would have to send them a link. So you would have to say, hey, I'm going to DM you a link. I'd love you to come on so we can expand upon that. You would have to DM them the link. Um, and Or you, I mean, you could drop the link in the chat, but I would not recommend that. You will end up with a bunch of people trying to join in. The The key thing to remember, this is kind of a, a best practices, is whoever you give that link to, they now have the ability to say whatever they want, show whatever they want. If you've not vetted them, if you don't know who they are, you need to be mindful of that when they come onto your screen, Uh, especially programs like YouTube that has their bots have gotten very sophisticated for detecting um, 
inappropriate content. So if somebody had something even inappropriate in the background and you didn't notice it, their bots might detect it and uh, it can shut your channel down. So be very mindful when you're giving that link out to who you're bringing on. I also saw a case one time where somebody had a show like that where they would let people come on and join and they could ask questions and they would answer them live. And the person got on screen and our, the host spoke English and only English and the guest spoke or the person who jumped on screen spoke French and only French. And it was this awkward moment of him going, I speak French and the host going, I speak English and the guest or the, the person there going, I, but I only speak French. And they're like, okay, you're going to have to go. Like we, we can't continue the conversation. Right. Um, so just be mindful of that when you're bringing people on that it is fair play. Next question. Craig McFarland in Boston back again with one of the biggest challenges is guests joining with varying levels of quality. Any plans uh, to give better feedback, video quality, echo looping, and such as they enter? Yeah, so I know that is something our team wants to expand upon. Um, we, again, we have to be mindful of when we get into that, it starts to get complicated. And so when we're building new features, the pillars of StreamYard are ease of use, reliability, and professional-looking streams. And if we don't fit into one of those three features, then we really try to figure out how can we make it fit? And if we can't, then it's a feature that we just have to kind of move past for the time being. So we have to be mindful when we start getting into too much of the audio level and things like that. And then also with it being browser-based, we want to be mindful that it's not eating up too much backend bandwidth. Um, because some of those tools can start to really eat up your bandwidth. Next question. Jeffrey Powers in Madison, Wisconsin, wonders if StreamYard has a shopping component like the other services are offering. Not currently. Um, if you would let us know kind of what you would want to see in a shopping feature, your how you would utilize it and what you're looking for, I can definitely pass that on to our team. Next question. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana says, is there a specific training dedicated to teachers or being prepared by teachers? Ooh, I don't know. We don't have a specific one that we have created. Um, I know we have lots of videos and tutorials over on our YouTube channel. We are launching a learn series um, eventually. I, I know it's kind of at the wrapping up of the final stages of the video filming of the learn series. So we'll have a learn series where we'll be able to kind of have a tutorial in depth of all the features of StreamYard. But as far as teacher specific, you might even search on YouTube and, and do some searches out there and see if there are some teachers who are doing some training specifically on it. If there's something in particular that you're looking for training on though, reach out to us and let us know. We can see what we can do to provide that training for you. Next question. Douglas Carmichael back again. Would you ever think of adding a one-button studio mode for use in educational settings? For example, college professors adding student streaming to their courses. Ooh, I I don't know on that one. I will certainly pass that one on to the team. Um, it's an, it, I like that use case, though. I mean, I could see the benefit of that, so I can definitely share that over with them. Next question. Craig McFarlane in Boston, Mass. Back again. Audio ducking is pretty significant if there is any music playing, no matter how quiet. We avoid transitions with much audio overlapping. Have you seen productions deal with this, or is ducking going to improve? 
Um, you know, we have the echo cancellation feature built into StreamYard. So you can turn that on or off and start to work on kind of figuring out what is causing the ducking. Is it a feedback issue coming through your mic? Uh, some of that is where you kind of get into some of those more advanced tools where you can use something like voice meter uh, downloaded onto your computer on the back end to start to figure out your audio problems there and everything like that internally into the tool. We don't encounter a high amount of users that encounter the audio ducking. Um, so we always suggest that it is, if it is something you're encountering, please reach out to our support team and they can help you troubleshoot why you're getting the audio ducking and then how they can help you resolve it. Next question. Supreet Singh is back from Bangalore. He says, does StreamYard allow access to the higher and or deeper functions of H.264 encoding? For example, adaptive quantization, B-frames, deblocking, and so forth. I don't believe so. Um, that one definitely, as a social media and as a marketer, um, that one went over my head a little. Uh, those are some advanced uh, pieces there. Uh, so I'm going to say... I am 99% sure no, that we don't offer any availability into any of that. Um, but you're welcome to reach out to our team and see if there's anything comparable that you could get. And what was that information again for, is that support? Yeah, you can email support at contact at marketing, uh, contact at streamyard.com. Wonderful. Next question. Harshi Trivedi, Daytona Beach, back again. Are you aware of any multi-language or audio description channels being available for streamers that may want to include either audio description or options for more than one language? So that is something that the team, you know, would love to be able to add in the ability with um, the options to have languages going out, you know, one stream going out in multiple languages. We know that there are some tools out there at, at the time there were some that would do it um that were pretty high priced they wouldn't send the audio out but they would send the the captioning out in multiple languages and you could kind of open it in a separate separate tab and have your captioning there uh i know kudo is one that does that i believe they're a little pricey though so over time though i think as more of this ai capability develops that we will see the ability to add in things like that um, directly into the stream. But right now we're just not there. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, has StreamYard thought of working with the music labels to legally license music for use on customers' streams? So we have some copyright-free music built into the stream. And then from there, um, if anybody wants to add in licensed music or anything like that, we say, you know, the best option is to get a subscription to any of the music licensing subscriptions, and you can use it in that way. Um, you do have to register with um, YouTube, what your licensed music options are, Facebook, things like that, because at the end of the day, those platforms won't know that you necessarily have a subscription. Now, some of those tools will do that registration for you. So it's just kind of do your research on which tools you want to look at for royalty-free or for licensed music. But I doubt that we will ever probably go down that route of working directly with the labels. Um, that's a legal, pricey, uh, long road to go down where there's already tools that are doing it well. Next question. Jeffrey Powers in Madison, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, wonders if you'd be willing to do a hands-on lab with Office Hours folks in the future. 
Oh, so our labs, just for, for context. So we have the show that we do. And then after the show, we have our after hours community. And that runs all the way to the next, the top of the next day for our shows. And so we have labs on Canva, Keynote, different tools that are used within our community. So the, the ask is if you would be open to doing a lab with our community in, um, on the back end. I absolutely would be open to doing that. I love getting to teach how the tool works and how the functions and really how you can kind of systemize and make your process even easier. Next question. Craig McFarlane, Boston, Massachusetts. Back, any plans for a simple timer mechanism to quietly help a guest know not to ramble on? Um, you know, that's something we might be able to add in the future. Uh, one thing that you can do is you could um, add... So where your logo goes, you can also add GIFs into that logo space. So if you had a guest, you could say, hey, look, you're going to get two minutes to say what you need to say and just pre-let your guests know. And you could actually pop that little timer up in there. Now, everybody would see that timer. But if you just kind of built that into your show, there's not a way to have one behind the scenes right now. We do have private chat though, in the back end of the studio. So you could also just educate your guests beforehand and say, hey, I've got the private chat. Make sure you're paying attention to that. So if I need to communicate with you, and if your guest is continuing to go on and on, you can jump in the private chat and say, okay, wrap this up. We're going to get to the next question. And our last question of the day comes from Douglas Carmichael. Would StreamYard ever think of adding server-side audio processing to deal with the most common audio issues from customers? It's something we might think about. Again, it has to fall into that ease of use, the reliability, um, you know, not causing bandwidth issues and not causing it to be so complicated that it no longer falls under ease of use. So it might be something we consider in the future. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for your time with us today. The comments have been going off and just the, the volume of questions about StreamYard. And before we let you go, just any parting words that you want to share with our community? Yeah. So if you're not already live streaming, get started. We want you you know, to try it. And that's whether it's on StreamYard or any other tool, you have to find the one that's the right fit for you. But video is here to stay. Uh, podcasting is here to say it's not going away. And, you know, if you didn't get started already, it's definitely time to get started. StreamYard support is available no matter what plan you are on, including if you haven't even signed up yet and you're just asking, you're just going, I need these questions answered before I sign up. You can reach out to them anytime. You can reach out on our social pages. We will answer on those. Like I said, we answer every comment and question that comes in that we can. So stay in touch and don't be afraid to just do it. Awesome. Again, thank you so much, Julie, for joining us. And of course, our producers, thank you so much for your questions and just connecting with each other in the comments to share feedback to our panelists. Thank you for your responses to the questions and our production team for Without Which this would not be possible. And just some quick reminders for this upcoming week. So today, well, actually, yes, today we've got the NAB planning meeting and that takes place at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then we also have tomorrow is a visual effects breakdown. So Alex will be breaking down one of his past projects. And going into the Taluk Traversal, we have traveled 158,000 
976 miles. That is 255 kilometers, uh, 255,846 kilometers. That is 1.4 billion bananas. That's a lot of bananas and 6.4 times around the sun, around the earth. So thank you so much, everyone. And we will see you in after hours and see you next time. Bye. Oh, yeah. And if you want to learn more about what's happening this week, just head over to officehours.global. Sorry, I had to whisper it. I should have said it earlier. Great job, Julie. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Julie. Oh, this is the part of the show where we whisper. That's like how we close out. For no discernible reason. Except that we like to practice whispering. Right. <laughs> awesome. Great show, everyone. You too, Liberty. Well done. Thanks, Bill. That was really good.